0: Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Alison Colley. Hello and welcome to episode number 47 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. My name's Alison Colley. I'm a solicitor and employment law specialist, and I am your host for the show. For those of you who listen regularly, you will have noticed that the show has now moved to fortnightly. What I was finding was that I wasn't having enough time to dedicate to produce my newsletter. So I produce a newsletter for anyone who's on my email list. And I just wasn't having enough time with the podcast as well to get all the content together. So what I've decided to do is to move the podcast to fortnightly and then every other week there will be the newsletter. So I do cover different topics and different cases in each of those. And if you're not on my email list and you'd like to receive the newsletter every fortnight in between the podcast, then please go over to my website, which is adviceforemployers.co.uk and you can sign up there. So this week, I'm going to bring you two cases and an update on two areas of the law that hopefully you will find useful. So without further ado, I'm going to get straight into this week's content. (laughs) Okay, the first thing I'm going to talk to you about is a recent case which was dealt with in the Nottingham Employment Tribunal. And this was with regards to ACAS early conciliation and time limits for bringing a claim in the Employment Tribunal. Now, for employment lawyers, time limits are a really interesting uh, area for us because in the Employment Tribunal, unlike in other types of claims, the time limit is very short, so you only have three months from the date of the act that you're complaining of, or the date of termination in the case of unfair dismissal, to bring your claim, to make your claim to the Employment Tribunal. And that's a really short period of time compared to other claims in the civil courts, which can be three or six years, for instance. And many people aren't aware of the short time limit. And there have been a number of cases over years which have developed through the Employment Tribunals, Appeal Tribunals and and the courts to deal with Employment Tribunal time limits where people who are outside of the time limit for one reason or another. And there's very little discretion in the Employment Tribunal in allowing cases to be heard outside of time. And this has continued, and this continues with the introduction of early conciliation. And it's as I say, it's a really interesting point for us, but a bit frustrating, I think, for employers and employees particularly who are bringing the claims. Let me start by telling you about early conciliation. For those of you who haven't heard of early conciliation, this was introduced by the government to try to reduce the number of claims that ended up at the employment tribunal. So it's compulsory for most types of employment claims for an employee who's bringing the claim to contact ACAS by the early conciliation service and begin a period of early conciliation. So they have to get a certificate from ACAS to say that they've done that before they can make their claim in the employment tribunal, and without that, with most types of cases, they wouldn't be allowed to proceed now. When that was introduced, the government recognized that actually they needed a period of time to deal with early conciliation, and that people might be put off from engaging with it if it, they still had that short period of time for their claim of three months. So what early conciliation does is the period of early conciliation actually sort of pauses time or stops the clock with regards to the time limit. There are two ways in which this happens. The first is that the clock is stopped. Okay, so for the period of time the clock is stopped, let's just say it's 20 days of early conciliation, that 20 days is then added on to the deadline for the employment tribunal claim. So that's in one circumstance. And the other time is that it can be extended by a month. And I'll just explain to you the difference between the two. So the way in which you can describe the time limits for early conciliation is that you start with day A. Now day A is the day on which the employee or person who's bringing the claim contacts ACAS. Okay so that could be by telephone or they fill in the form online. So that's day A. And then day B is the day on which they re- receive the early conciliation certificate. Now if the employee's time limit has more than 1 month to run after day b then the the clock is stopped so it's paused and then those days are added on so let's just say day a the diff- the time between day a and day b is 10 days and at the end of day b the employee has 2 months remaining to bring their claim in the employment tribunal then those 10 days are added to the ordinary time limit so if the time limit then is let's just say the 31st of december The 10 days are added on, so then the deadline would then be the 10th of January. Now, in a situation where the time limit, the ordinary time limit, is less than a month after day B, so let's just say um, the employee receives the early conciliation certificate on the 20th of January and their deadline for bringing a claim is the 31st of January, then the time limit is extended by one month after day B. So this would mean then that the deadline is the 20th of February, which is one month after the early conciliation certificate is issued. So there are two times and two different ways in which the normal time limit for bringing a claim in the Employment Tribunal is extended by the early conciliation period. So that's the background. In this case, and the case name is Myers and Waifey versus Nottingham City Council, the employees in this case, Miss Myers and Mrs Waifey, were given notice of dismissal, so notice of the termination of their employment by reason of redundancy, and they were given notice on the 11th of March 2015. And the notice was due to end on the 8th of June 2015. On the 3rd of June 2015, so five days before their employment was due to end, they contacted ACAS and started the early conciliation process. And the early conciliation process then ran from the 3rd of June until the 3rd of July 2015. Now, because Miss Myers and Mrs Wafey's employment ceased on the 8th of June, their deadline for bringing a claim in the Employment Tribunal, their ordinary deadline, would have been the 7th of September 2015, because it's three months less one day from the date of termination. Now, in Miss Myers and Mrs. Wavy's case, their day A, so the day that they contacted ACAS was the 4th of June, their day B was the 3rd of July 2015, when the early conciliation certificate was issued, which gives a period of 30 days. And they took it that the 30 days would be added to their normal deadline, and therefore providing a final day for bringing their claim of the 7th of October 2015. They both put in claims to the Employment Tribunal because the early conciliation hadn't worked. They claimed for unfair dismissal and disability discrimination and they put their claim into the tribunal on the 6th of October 2015. So one day before the date in which they were alleging was their final date for bringing the claim following the early conciliation. Nottingham City Council argued that their claims were out of time and they argued this on the basis that the period before the termination of their employment should not count for the extension of the time limit. So the, those five days between the 3rd of June and the 8th of June, when their employment ended, Nottingham City Council was saying, well, that can't count for the extension of time because it took place before they were dismissed. And this is what the Employment Tribunal had to consider in this case. So would would their normal time limit have been the 2nd of October, so that would be the 30 days minus the 5 when they were still employed, or would it have been the 7th of October, so would the full 30 days be taken into consideration? The employment judge in this case took what I would say is quite a practical view on it and a common sense approach and started out by sort of looking at what were the intentions of the early conciliation provisions. And the judge noted that the Intentions of the early conciliation provisions was to try to get people to deal with their claims before they reach the tribunal, to stop things from getting to the tribunal. So he thought, well, it can't be possible then that the intention is that you expect employees to wait until after their employment has ended before they try to resolve their disputes in order to get the protection from the additional time limits. What the judge decided here was following some earlier cases, um, and if you're interested, the earlier case was Chandler and Bannock District Council, where the interpretation of the regulations about early conciliation was considered. In addition to this, on a reading of what the regulations say in the Employment Rights Act, the judge concluded that although the time limit for bringing a claim started to run from the date of termination, the deadline could be extended by an early conciliation period that takes place prior to the termination date. In this case, it was common sense. The common sense approach prevailed and the extension was granted for 30 days, which means that Miss Myers and Mrs Wavy's claim was brought within time, which meant then it could proceed to the next stage of the hearing. What does this mean for you as an employer? Well, Time limits are notoriously complicated and can sometimes be very difficult to work out, particularly with these new early conciliation periods. So if you do have a claim against you, if some employee brings a claim against you in the employment tribunal, it's always worth getting some advice as to whether you might have a valid argument that the claim was out of time. So checking those time limits, understanding what they mean and when the claim was actually issued. Now, In this case, Nottingham City Council were unsuccessful in their defence that the claims were out of time, but there have been other cases where employers were successful, not necessarily about early conciliation time limit, but with regards to other issues. So if you do have a claim, it's definitely worth getting some advice because it may save you some money in the long run. Okay, now the next thing I want to talk to you about is something that you should be considering because obviously it's coming up this year and that's in relation to holiday and bank holidays now for those of you who have a holiday year in your contracts or handbooks which runs from April to March this is going to be really important for you to listen to now for those of you who have a holiday year that runs from January to December it's not so much of an issue but it's definitely something you should take note of now because of the way that Easter falls this year what it means is that for those employers who have an April to March holiday year, it means that in one year there's going to be 10 bank holidays and in the other there's going to be 6. Now this has an impact in relation to the working time regulations, which are the regulations which govern how holiday is dealt with. So all employees under the working time regulations are entitled to 5.6 weeks annual leave in each leave year. And which, for those people who work five days a week, the equivalent is 28 days. And that's inclusive of bank holidays. So there isn't any separate entitlement to have bank holidays. It's 5.6 weeks for all. If the contracts provide that employees are entitled to have 20 days, plus their normal bank holidays, then, in most cases, there wouldn't be a problem. Then you would be fulfilling the requirements of the working time regulations, and they would have sufficient holiday However, where their Easter falls at a different time, a lot earlier, then this can mean that the employees will be without what their minimum legal requirement is in one particular year. So technically what's happening then is in 2015, employees are having two Easter holidays within the holiday year. And then in 2016, there's no Easter holidays falling within the holiday year. So what can you do about this? Well, the first thing to do is to check your contracts. Well, first of all, check when your holiday year is. If you don't know, make sure you know whether it's April to March or December onwards, however it works out. And then to check how the wording is in your contracts or your policies about holiday. If it says that they're entitled to 28 days holiday, including the normal public holidays, then you're fine. That would cover it. But if it says that they're entitled to 20 days plus bank holidays, for full-time staff we're talking about here, then you may be in some difficulty in terms of how you're going to work this out. The simplest way of dealing with it would be to change your contracts. So instead of saying 20 plus bank holidays, it actually just says 28, including public holidays. And if you close on public holidays, then you can put a clause in there which requires employees to take those public holidays as holiday and then take it off of their 28-day entitlement. And that way, Employees will be able to take 28 days in each year regardless of when the bank holidays fall and you won't have any problems with breaching the working time regulations. If you have a policy within your employment contracts or your handbook to allow staff to have more than the normal 5.6 weeks holiday per year so your contractual entitlement is higher, then again you're unlikely to be in breach of the working time regulations because they will then have the minimum of the 5.6 weeks anyway. If you choose to ignore this and do nothing and you're actually not entitling your employees to take the minimum legal requirement in a particular year, then you could find yourself at the end of a claim from your employees for um, the failure to allow them to take their statutory leave or to pay them. So it's definitely worth being proactive with this. Not only does it help to save you problems in the long run in terms of legal issues, It also means that your employees feel that you are actually taking care of them, that you are doing what you should do and that you are being fair to them and that can boost morale no end. So it's really important if you've got a holiday year that runs from April to March just to double check it and take this into consideration for what's happening in this current year. As before If you are unsure about what you need to do or what your obligations are, then please do not hesitate to contact me. I'll be very happy to help you and to give you some specific advice about your own circumstances. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you do have any suggestions for future podcast episodes or you would like to be interviewed, then you can get in touch with me. It's Alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. And I'll be back with another episode of the podcast in two weeks. And as I said at the beginning, if you'd like to receive my fortnightly newsletter, which comes out on a Monday as well, then you can sign up at adviceforemployers.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to speaking to you soon. This week's episode of the Employment Law and HR podcast was brought to you by the HR Harbour. HR Harbour is an innovative package of support and advice for employers and managers. HR Harbour comes with specific advice for your organisation, template documents, as well as a dedicated software system that you can implement into your business to make your life much easier when dealing with your staff. So if you'd like more information, you can contact me for a free, no obligation demonstration. It's Alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk